0: Yes, hello. It's Jason Lube. This is the Ultraculture Podcast. Welcome back. I am sitting in a completely new recording studio that I have just built. I am extremely excited about it. Uh, I should post some pictures on Instagram or something like that. Uh, Yeah, Uh, I'm sitting here with monitor speakers, with sound padding, keyboards, sound pads, electrical conditioners, audio cards, and all, iMac Pro, and all of this stuff that I've accumulated in the process of putting this podcast together. Now, I have, well, actually I have a couple confessions, but I have, I have a confession about um, uh, my, my pattern in life. You may share this with me, or or maybe not, but I'm one of these people that spends obsessive amounts of time preparing to do something perfectly right, uh, sometimes rather than just doing it, and that's a really bad habit. Um, the good side of it is that I get incredibly obsessive, and I go into tunnels, which is how I always describe it, attempting to master one incredibly technical a technically complex subject after the next. So that could be audio, or music, or Linux, or whatever it happens to be. Obviously, that's how I approached magic. That's how I approached all these different magical systems. And it just kind of kept going from there as almost like a compulsion. Um, in other words, I'm a complete um, a complete and utter nerd social recluse. And uh, <laughs> that's my life. It always has been. But the good news is I have a completely new recording studio, and I'm really excited to get back in the swing doing lots of regular podcasts. Uh, Obviously, if you've been following the podcast, uh, I told you my travails with moving and all of that. Um, Finally got it right. Got this uh, studio set up. The walls are painted lilac because that's how it came. So I'm referring to it as Lilac Studios. So lots of podcasts to come from. Lilac Studios. In the meantime, um, as I get this going, uh, here's another podcast. Oh, I forgot the second confession I was going to make. Um, I also am ex- and often an extremely clumsy person. What I what I mean by that is uh, I was literally standing on a ladder. Uh, it's not exactly that I'm clumsy. It's that I just totally lose track of my surroundings because I'm completely in my head. I imagine some of you may uh, share that proclivity with me, uh, but I was I was um, putting sound boards up on the wall, uh, on the ceiling, and then I, I put my feet on a desk, one of my feet on a desk from a ladder to try and lean over. And what do you know? Yes, all of my stuff came collapsing down on the floor, including me. My computer is shattered. My speakers clattered to the floor. I mean, these are huge speakers. Uh, and, uh, I dislocated my finger. It went, my left index finger, uh, went completely at like a 90 degree angle from the back of my hand. Uh, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty dramatic and traumatic, not nearly as bad as it could have been. Luckily it's all okay now. It got snapped back into place. Um, and it's healing now, but, uh, that just goes to show, uh, pay attention to your surroundings. So, in the meantime, as I get as I get all this operational, uh, here's a here's a new podcast. So this is a podcast that is uh, like some of the other ones I've <clears throat> released recently. is a compilation of uh, Q and A from office hours, from live sessions that I've done, and back and forth with uh, students and and people that I've been talking to. And this one focuses on the future, the the the, the future delayed. Let's put it that way. Uh, most of these back and forths are from 2018, 2019, and are me talking about uh, the future that I see coming in terms of blockchain and AI and things like that. And I think it's, it, it, I think it's important and interesting for a couple reasons. One of them is remembering that the future used to be exciting and hopeful, uh, which which it kind of hasn't been rec- recently. Um, before the world just completely uh, you know, did its thing. Um see, I'm I'm mellowing in my older age. I, there's a lot of things I could have said there that I didn't. Um, but it's, you know, right, let's dial it back a bit. I know that if you're like me, you probably have just been living in total adrenaline reaction, fight or flight for over a year now. Yes, it has been over a freaking year of this nonsense. Um, but let's, let's dial it back. Let's, let's, let's turn the clock back to when the future was still hopeful and exciting. And it still is. That's the thing. As long as you get out of your reactivity and don't do what I do, which is just rage post on Instagram, no comment. Um, the future is still exciting. The future is still bright. And I still have the same message for everyone that I did two years ago, uh, and and actually for, and I have for quite some time now, which is get out on the edge of the curve of technology. Uh, a few years ago, that was blockchain. It's still blockchain to a big extent. I mean, this it's basically the same technologies, blockchain, AI, uh, private space travel, virtual reality, a, a bunch of these things, and, and lots more coming. Uh, so um, we, we've kind of been running around in a panic for a while here, and I, I think... It's time to get centered again. So, I present to you uh, a bunch of these. So, some of these are uh, some of these Q&As are about talking about the future, and it's interesting to see what was on point, what was what seemed pessimistic, uh, excuse me, what what seemed pessimistic at the time but turned out to be wildly optimistic. For instance, in one of these Q and A's, I start talking about universal basic income, and I'm almost like taking for granted that people are going to adopt Andrew Yang's idea of two thousand dollars a month. Now we see that our country, well, America. You're not everyone who listens to this is American, obviously, but you know, in America, we we can't even get two thousand dollars a year out of the the government. Even though they've shut down the entire economy, now it's, you know, here, have this $2,000, I mean $1,400, don't spend it all in one year. Uh, Real helpful. Anyways, so it's kind of crazy that, you know, some things seem wildly optimistic. um, But some things are actually pretty on point. And I think that the overall... If some of the details have changed, I think that the overall trajectory of a lot of the stuff that I'm saying here is still completely accurate. And it's more important, I think, in all things in life right now to recalibrate and regain balance to where we want to be going, where we were going, the future that we were all imagining, to recalibrate to that Rather than radically change course and radically reinvent everything. Now there's obviously some of that is going to have to happen because it's just not the same world anymore. But um, a lot of people's reaction over the last year has been simply that. It's been panic reaction. And that's not reality, right? It's it's overreaction. So I think that we should begin by recalibrating to where we were and recentering and rebalancing and then then we can begin to make adjustments to uh, reality and, and where we are now. Okay. Um, so there's also just lots of helpful stuff thrown in here. I talk about the apocalypse, always helpful. Uh, but, uh, you know, and I, I open up this section uh, session uh, talking about how to use technology for magic. Um, that's an interesting one, too, because a, there's a lot of technologies that I recommend there that I wouldn't necessarily recommend now. For instance... Uh, I mean, you'll hear it right away. For instance, I start talking about using Amazon Alexas uh, and uh, Fitbits for Magic and things like that. Now, um, obviously, we know more about those technologies now in terms of how intrusive they are as surveillance devices. And uh, uh, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend the same ones now, but... You can get lots of similar models made by third-party companies that are not as invasive, although I don't know how much you can ever trust a smart device. Um, That's kind of the perpetual trade-off in in the world of technology is anonymity versus usefulness. And uh, and that's a juggling act that is perpetual. Anyways, uh, this is chock full of goodies, and I simply present it to you with the reminder to return to the hopeful future, the hopefully, hopefully hopeful future that we were all headed to before all this happened. And even, you know, at a more meta level at a deeper level than that, it's simply come back to a state of balance. I've been doing that myself. I mean, just maybe in the last week, I certainly have been totally haywire and out of balance for the last year. I will be the first to admit. I think probably we all are uh, or we all have been, but I'm actually going to be um, doing more podcasts soon about that topic. Returning to balance. All right. Um, <clears throat> yeah. What a year. <sighs> the future is still bright. All right. So uh, here's the podcast. Um we still have tons of offerings at magic.me. Uh, the Alchemy of Chaos and the Adept Initiative are still going strong. They are eternal, uh, particularly Adept Initiative, because there's something that I need to remind, I need to remind myself of constantly, because I can easily get spun out. There's something I need to remind myself of constantly, which is that the truth never changes. I've said it before many times on this show. I'm going to keep saying it because it doesn't change, and I'm going to keep coming back to it. The eternal truth, whether it's expressed as uh, Taoism or the I Ching or Hermeticism or the Kabbalah or any of these, any, the runes, any of these sacred systems we talk about, they're unchanging because they're at a, well, it's not that they're unchanging, but they exist at a level of reality, which changes very, very slowly and so slowly that it, it will be imperceptible, certainly in our lifetimes. Oh, there you go. How's that for a more precise answer? Um, come back to what you know already. Come back to what you know is true. Come back to a trajectory of uh, hopefulness and excitement and curiosity about the world And come back to magic, by any other name, because it's there for you. And, um, you know, I I don't necessarily mean magic.me, I mean magic, right? It's like, if I look back at any time in my life um, that has been seriously challenged, and there there have been a lot, Uh, magic's always been there for me. Uh, Always, always, even if things have been really hard. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I do what I do because I want to pass that on. All right. So come, come back to center. I'll be your yoga teacher for today. All right. Magic.me has everything you need to go, to go deep and lots more podcasts coming from Lilac Studios. All right. See you very soon. Lots of love. Okay, so welcome to the session. It's Saturday. And man, I'm feeling really good because I have been, I bought a Fitbit, which allows you to track all of your vitals. And I'm going to be talking about that actually in a little bit, because I'm working on a new project of trying to stay in peak consciousness all the time. Magical consciousness very much is centered around the idea of rituals and the idea that you do a ritual for, let's say an hour and you get into this awesome state where you feel like you can change reality and you're making massive changes in your nervous system and everything's coming together and it's great and it's wonderful and beautiful. And then, and then you stop doing that and then you go watch TV or you go to school or you go to work and then it's all forgotten, right? So magic has this thing where you're in total state for brief periods of time maybe in the morning, maybe at night, but then you go about the rest of your day. And so what I'm working on is staying in peak state all the time. So I'm working on this this project and I wanna fill you in on, on kind of my own personal process in addition to just doing the questions. And uh, I'll be talking about that in a second because this is, this is pretty exciting for me. Okay, first of all though, before we do anything, let's get into a magical state of consciousness. This is the most important part. So close your eyes, wherever you are. No one will notice, I promise. Close your eyes and put your hand on your heart. Right hand. Take your right hand, put it on your heart like this. Close your eyes. And I want you to think of a time that you felt incredibly magical. Like you could do anything. Like the world was opening up completely. Like the secrets were there for you. It could be a big moment or a small moment. doesn't matter. Any moment from your history, just think of that moment. And don't just think of it. Put yourself there. See what you saw, hear what you heard, and feel what you felt. Feeling so incredibly magical and so full of potential and ability and incredible connection to the cosmos. Think of that moment now and feel it. Feel it intensely. Now I want you to think of a second moment, could be a big moment, could be a small moment. Any time in your history where you felt incredibly magical, like you could do anything, like the universe was your proverbial oyster. Put yourself there, see what you saw, hear what you heard, and feel what you felt. Like it was happening right now, feeling so incredibly magical. Okay, now I want you to think of a third moment And this time I want you to think of a synchronicity that happened that was so improbable. Maybe it was just a tiny synchronicity, maybe just a little cosmic wink, or maybe it was something so big that it just defied explanation. Think about that moment and what it felt like when you were right there, when you saw what you were seeing, when you felt what you were feeling, when you heard what you were hearing. Keep your hand on your heart and feel that and feel it intensely. Okay, so when you're ready, open your eyes. And now we're ready to start. Now let's talk about magic, right? We wanna get into state first. You don't just wanna hear me talking about this stuff because you've already had all, many of you have had these experiences. You're already in the flow. And as I was hinting at earlier, the point is to get back into the flow immediately, right? The point is to get back in the driver's seat because as we go through life, there are times when we feel that peak state And then times when we lose it, when we're distracted by things, distractions are inevitable. They come at us nonstop, the 10,000 things, as the Buddhists say. So when you're here with me, I want you in peak magical consciousness because that's what we're here for. All right. I'm just going to tell you about what I've been up to for a little bit uh, because I really want to share some cool stuff with you. If you've been listening to the podcast, particularly the one I just did with Duncan Trussell, you heard me talking a little bit about playing around with technology. So... I consider myself kind of like a human test subject in a way. I've considered myself that my whole life, obviously with magic, clearly, you know, anything spiritual, but also technology. And I truly believe that technology is one of the most potent forms of magic that we have. I feel like particularly in the next 10 to 20 years, if you become a master of technology and I mean, information technology, things like computer code, building things online, If you can become a master of that, then you will be out on the edge of the wave and you'll be prospering and succeeding in life. And those who are not able to fully adapt to our new world, which is becoming more and more hyper accelerated every day by technology, those people are going to be increasingly perhaps left behind or put in service roles, to be quite frank with you, this is not how I want things to be, but I, this is what the, the world that I see coming. And it's the world that I want you to be ready for. So one of my personal projects is, is mastering as much information technology as I can. And one of those areas that I really want to share with you is using technology for magic. So if you heard that podcast, you heard me talking about using cryogenic tanks, freezing myself with a cryogenic tank for recovery and something else called air therapy, which is moves your lymphatic system, pretty incredible stuff. But I want to talk about specifically and that's all great for being in a good physical state. You can tell I've got a lot of energy right now because I'm by the way, I haven't had any caffeine today or anything like that. This is a natural baseline state. And that's from some of the things I've been doing. So if you've seen the tools tab on magic.me, you've seen me talking about the Amazon Alexa and how great it is for magic, how I, I actually think as, as cheesy as the Alexa is in some ways, or Google Home Assistant or what, what or perhaps Siri, but mostly the home AI devices, as cheesy as they are and kind of non-essential, I truly believe that those are some of the best tools for magic ever invented. You can use them to control lights, you can use them to control ambient music, you can use them to set timers, you can use them to pull random tarot cards, you can use them to do all kinds of stuff that is just incredibly useful, particularly if you're in a magical circle doing ritual. You basically, what the Alexa does or the Google Home Assistant does is it gives you hands-free control of your environment. Right. So if you're in a yoga pose or if you're doing a ritual and you don't want to get out of the circle, you have the ability to completely control the ambient environment, particularly if you link it to smart lights to match whatever is going on internally within your ritual. So that's one. And then I mentioned at the beginning of this, the idea of staying in magical consciousness all the time. Now, many of you know, the late magical writer, Donald Michael Craig. Right, who wrote Modern Magic. I was lucky enough to meet him shortly before he died. And he told me something really, really important for anybody who practices magic, whether this is related to technology or not. He said something very profound to me that I need you to hear very clearly. Okay, And he said this, people do magic and then they wonder why it doesn't work. Right? They do one ritual and then they think it, that's it, the check's in the post. Now, why didn't it work? Well, as Don would say, well, what did you do with the rest of your week, right? People do one ritual, and then they go about, they completely go absent-minded the rest of their day. Now they go 24 hours a day of distractions, you know, uh, phone, internet, uh, job, uh, relationship, children, all all these demands that come at us, right? And so their mind is scattered to the winds for the rest of their 24-7. So while I'm fascinated with the idea of ritual, and rituals are utterly important for getting yourself into full magical consciousness. To become a pro, I think it's critical to start developing a good magical consciousness all week long. That's what I've been working on. And that's what I've been employing some technology for? So the first one is the Fitbit, right? So the Fitbit allows you to monitor all your your vitals. You're probably familiar with this. You've probably seen people who have this. turns out to be very, very useful, particularly if you link it to food and water trackers. We want to start with the assumption that the basic building blocks of your consciousness are, in a sense, the four elements, right? Fire, air, water, earth. Now, if you've taken my class on achieving peak energy, you know this. We've talked about this. But earth, right? Food, what type of food are you eating? Are you eating good quality food that can be trapped with an app? Uh, Water, Uh, what quality water are you drinking? And are you drinking enough? Are you drinking 100 ounces of water every day? Right? Then air, how are you breathing? Right? Are you doing pranayama? Are you doing some type of yogic breathing? Or in general, keeping your breathing at a good level, right? If you can get those three things, Food, water and air, that's the building blocks of energy and energy, of course, is the fourth element, fire. Right now, we can also perhaps relate fire to exercise. Are you exercising enough every day? And that's where this comes in. But I w- want to show you something that I just got that I'm really excited about. We're going to do the unboxing video. And that is this thing called that I'm fascinated with called a spire stone. Okay, now I'm I'm not obviously not paid by Smierson to show you this. Uh, I just got it. You know, I'm just showing you things that I'm interested in. But I did want to share it with you because I think it's a potentially phenomenally powerful tool for magic. Okay, so you can see this. What is this? This is a breath tracker, right? It's not like a Fitbit that just tracks your activity. Although this also tracks your activity, this actually tracks the quality of your breathing. Now, some of you have probably done pranayama. If you've done pranayama or you've done any type of other yogic breathing, then you know that if, the, if you change your breathing, you change your consciousness. And if you do very deep breathing, you will go into magical consciousness. And vice versa, if you have jagged, arrhythmic, breathe, arrhythmic breathing, then you'll be in a state of stress and anxiety and all that. And people don't realize how easy it is to shift from somebody who feels disempowered, you know somebody who feels disempowered who feels like everything's against them feels like the world's out of their control to somebody who's empowered and at the center of the universe and at their center of their experience and able to have, feel ecstasy and joy and you know a feeling of total empowerment and agency in the world. so people have this idea like, oh well that takes 20 years of meditation right no it doesn't. it just takes the right breathing pattern right? It takes an intense enough pranayama practice and that does not take that long to develop, right? It's the breath. Breath modulates consciousness, right? And so breath forms the groundwork, the substratum for proper meditation. You have to cultivate the breath and garden the breath in a way, get the weeds out, you know, get your breathing solid, get your breathing deep in order to prepare the ground for meditation because you can manually, manually, it requires no type of spiritual acumen or ability or special status as a person anything like that you can use your breath to manually clear your mind which will allow you to enter into deep meditation this by the way this is a water tracker this tracks how much water i'm drinking every day okay so this is the spire stone right looks like that it's incredibly light and it comes with a charger that here's the unboxing So you can just see it's just got a USB cord and then it has this charger that actually this is cork and this just plugs into USB. You drop it on like that and it charges and it takes two hours to charge and it holds the charge for a week. Once it's charged, you clip it into your belt. This side goes towards your skin and then it monitors the movement of your abdomen, right? All day long. And so what what ends up happening is You get analytics. First of all, you get analytics for your mood throughout the week, right? How your breathing is. And again, not just in ritual, but all throughout the day. The other thing is, if you start breathing shallow, if your breathing starts getting jagged, this vibrates. Okay, how powerful is that? It manually reminds you to breathe deeply. What that really means, by the way, is that one of these allows you to have solid state mental focus and breathing throughout the entire week obviously people say oh focus on your breath think about your breath but how hard like if you've ever tried to do that throughout the day you know it's basically impossible right because you've got so many things going on especially now you've got your phone you've got texts it all you know as we've said it's impossible to just well not i'm not i don't want to say impossible but it's very very hard to keep mindful of your breath throughout the day and obviously mindfulness is a big buzzword and things like this but we don't have to develop the massive willpower to just force our mind to focus on our breath all day long, which sounds pretty stressful anyways, right? This will just buzz you if your breathing is off. Incredible, right? Think about how, you know, and what that really means is you in a relaxed, peak state, in control, focused all week long, right? How many times have you lost control? How many times have you let your emotions get the better of you? How many times have you, not been in as resourceful state as you wanted? How many times have you dropped the magical wand, as we say, you know, lost control of the situation because you were stressed, you were agitated, you were in a bad state, too much information was coming at you, and maybe you said something or did something or acted in a way that was not ideal, right? It's okay. It happens to everyone. It's not as much a function of you, your value as a person. It's not that at all. It's just a function of what state you were in. Right. So magic gives us all these tools for state management, but I want to take them out of the ritual chamber. I want people to be doing them all week long. Right. And technology is what's allowing that in a way that has never been possible, never, ever been possible before. It's incredible. So I just want to mention this. I want to show this to you. Obviously I'm not paid by the company or anything like that, but I will put a link to this in the notes. If you decide to get one, I do get a little bit of kickback from Amazon. It's no extra cost to you. Um, But I just want to, you know, whether or not you get it, I just wanted to mention this to you. And the overall concept of using technology to very closely maintain our state and keep ourselves in a peak state all day long. So I imagine that that is going to be of immense interest to you. And it should be, right? Because again, we don't live in the world of Crowley or the Golden Dawn, right? These guys were rich, and they had idle time. They were kind of You know, Crowley was independently wealthy, things like this. They didn't have jobs, you know, most of them. So they could spend all day long going into, you know, magical rituals and stuff like that. We don't live in that world anymore. We have to live, we live in a world in which we have to adapt our practice to the world, right? We have to build a practice that is not about robes and wands and all all that's great. But we have to build a practice where we, our magic fits with the life we're living, right? Our pra- practice needs to be adapted to life in the 21st century. Otherwise, it's archaic. Otherwise, just go to Ren Fair. okay? Like, if you, if you want to do historical reenactment of the Golden Dawn and stuff like that, that's great, but there's a place for that. It's called the Renaissance Festival, all right? It's not, not to be mean, but it's like magic has to adapt. Magic has to adapt, right? We need to build a practice that is fully adapted to life in the 21st century right now. And so I'm going to continue sharing with you, particularly in these sessions. You know, this is exclusive information. I'm not putting this out yet, at least to the rest of the list or the internet. This is, since you're in the session with me, I want to share with you crucial key tidbits of what I'm working on. So you get a sense of where my head is at instead of just me teaching the basics, you know, because you're here with, you're here participating, you're with me. What are your thoughts on the near, like the near term future, like in the five to 10 year horizon in direction of society and the species? Yeah. Okay. Well, the biggest one on the horizon is automation. So within the next five to 10 years, so many things are going to, it's already happening, but no blue collar or white collar job is safe. Like none of them, right? Because everything can be automated. So the first thing that's going to happen, automation is of course using software or mechanical processes or early artificial intelligence to replace jobs that humans do. It's way cheaper. It's way more effective. It doesn't need healthcare. So you can see that corporations are very, very interested in it, and it can also do things much faster. Of course, there's a phrase in business called the paradox of automation, which is if you automate something badly, it becomes a disaster, right? So if you're automating a canning factory or something and you automate a process that doesn't seal the jars correctly, Next thing you know, you've got 2 million people with botulism poisoning in the U.S. and it's gone very, very poorly. So that's the double-edged sword of automation. But in general, socially, this is something that we all need to come to grips with and that I think everyone, I've consistently been urging people to be aware of and that everyone who's my student needs to be very, very keenly aware of and plan ahead, stay two steps ahead at least because other, most people react. You need to see ahead and plan before things happen. And so the the plan is to replace the vehicles in the U.S. with uh, autonomous vehicles. That's going to be probably very good from an environmental perspective and certainly fascinating from the perspective of somebody who wants to use that service. But that said, where are all those people going to go? All the people who are truck drivers, Uber drivers, Lyft drivers. The Lyft CEO was saying that the job they want is they want people to become greeters in autonomous vehicles, similar to Walmart greeters. So you're kind of hanging out and people show up and it's like, you entertain them. And this to me sounds like some CEO's pipe dream. of That might indirectly wake some people up. Yeah. I think that first of all, it sounds humiliating for everyone involved, both the writers and certainly the people doing that job. Second, I can imagine people, you know, introverts such as myself would probably pay more to not have a greeter. You know, it's like, (laughs) it's like, it's so stressful. It's like, you know, it's like, I just want a car to work. I don't want, you know, someone in the car. So, I mentioned this because automation is coming faster than people have models to deal with it. The best. So this is this naive idea that, oh, we'll just find jobs for people. The best thing is universal basic income. I think that universal basic income is going to be the best possible outcome for this. Just giving people a certain amount of money to live. You know, $2,000 a month, something like that. And I think that I'm, I'm with Elon Musk, who said not only is this a good idea, but also should not be taken away if you work more. It should just be given to everyone so that because the problem is that if people, if they realize that it'll be taken away if they get a job, then they won't want to get a job, right? It's, it's possibly very affordable just if you replace, because you, you basically replace the welfare and social security system and the money that, that money already goes to people, it just goes into several different federal programs if you're in the US. So you could simply just end those programs and replace them with universal basic income. And you're basically giving people the same amount of money, but it's going directly to them and they can do whatever they want with it. So those are technical and economic considerations. I think that the best possible outcome is that we get universal basic income and that people who are my students or people who are able to use it wisely we'll use it wisely and what i mean by that is not using it as an excuse to beat every ps4 game ever which i've certainly been in that zone but it will free people to let's say if you want to be a yogi $2000 a month is more than enough to just get like a place to meditate and spend your entire life on spirituality like that's a tremendous opportunity for spiritual people and that's not going to be that's that's certainly incredible it's not going to be enough for most people but it will also give people the social cushioning and leeway to do things like follow their artistic dreams, write the book they wanted to write, create the movie they wanted to create, start a business. Because I think that my, my honest, my gut feeling about this is that what will happen is the basics will be covered for everyone and that will free up a tremendous amount of human creativity, I hope. Buckminster Fuller observed in, this, in the 1970s that we had already solved so many of the problems of work and the supply chain actually people didn't need to work anymore. And the idea of sticking somebody in a nine to five office job was a relic of the industrial age. And that our schools are teaching kids to do this and people do it just because they think they have to. But his observation of the amount of supply and the supply chains in the world is like, people don't have to do this. This is a delusion, right? We don't actually, people don't actually have to work. So with automation, that becomes even more, you know, more of the case. That said, when people lose their job, when they lose their sense of, you know, people attach identity and meaning to their jobs and their roles. And when those are taken away, particularly for men, particularly for older men, it can be psychologically devastating. It's like removing somebody's being. And, you know, there's, there's very clear data on drug abuse rates, alcoholism and suicide go up tremendously after job loss, particularly for men who derive their sense of self-worth from their job. I mean, I definitely agree with you that so I mean, universal basic income is definitely like the optimistic outcome that we could have. But I mean, like it also seems wise to consider like the pessimistic outcome where like I mean, the government defaults on its debt, the US loses the reserve status with the dollar being a reserve currency, and I mean, the government goes away and people have to start learning to take care of themselves again. Like I mean, like that seems Yeah. almost equally likely. That's certainly the other direction i don't think that it will be that extreme because I think that I think that what could happen is just particularly because we're due for another economic crash is that things are just and this is what I've observed since the first economic crash is that just things get progressively shitty right, and the u s becomes more like and already is falling off all the ratings for First world. I mean, the U.S. becomes more like a third world country. There are parts of the U.S. that are third world countries already. You know, the Deep South, for instance, and or uh, the suburbs of Washington D.C., the inner city of Washington D.C. I don't think that things will collapse, but I just think that things could get progressively grim-er. And I don't see the political divide resolving ever, perhaps, in this country. And I think that the bottom line, which, okay, so we've got a utopia and a dystopia. It's obviously going to be a mix of both, and it's going to depend on where you are in the country. You know, if you're in the coast, coastal California is going to be a lot different than backwoods Arkansas, for instance, right? They're, They're practically different planets. So without saying too much in the way of prediction, I'm not predicting, but I think those are the big trends going forward. For my students, I think that, Number one, understand that, look, we're in a position of chaos, right? We're in a period of chaos. This is great for magicians because the sentries are down, the guards are asleep, everyone's got their heads cut off and is going crazy. Nobody's paying attention. So storm the gates, right? You know, this is a time for you to do, this is a period of manifestation for you to get clear on what you want and make it happen. And in order to do that, I think you kind of have to tune out the zeitgeist. You have to tune out the chaos on social media and the news. I mean, everyone's narcotized by the war of left versus right in, in the US. And I don't know about the rest of the world, but that's certainly the case here. So I, my general advice is get clear on what you want, check out of the cultural battle and manifest your, what you actually want. And future-proof it, meaning you have to be aware of the technology that's coming. Being aware of automation, AI, certainly blockchain is a, is a lesser one, but it's also a big deal but primarily automation and designing and planning your life for a world in which basically all jobs are automated out is a really good thing to do. And don't assume like literally we're we're in a, nobody knows what's going on right now. There's no guideposts you can look to for navigating this for the most part. I think that the only thing, the best way that you can navigate is to fall back honestly not to sound cheesy, but to fall back on eternal principles and eternal wisdom about how human life works and how, how, things change. The I Ching is a great guide to tumultuous situations, the Tao Te Ching, things like this. Crafting your life along eternal principles while everyone else runs around like a chicken with their head cut off, bury you in good stead. But in general, that's I mean, there's so much to talk about there, but I think those are the major trends. And also be, be, try to be out, and I've said this in my podcast, you know, be out on the curve of technology, ride the top of the crest of the wave so that you don't get pulled, you know, pulled into the undercurrent like everyone else. Example, 1995, the internet, the World Wide Web was rolling out. Every single company out there was like, oh, this is a fad. Why, people aren't going to want to buy online. It's not safe They could get hacked. No one's going to want to put their credit card in online to buy anything. And that was true at the time, sure. And everyone saw the internet as a novelty, you know, as a place to put up web pages with animated fire graphics and things like that. Fast forward a few years, we have a few people like Amazon and Google who decided that actually this is the future and we're going to be the big players in this space yes, everyone is going to buy online and we're going to be the place that everyone buys from, Amazon. You know, we want to control information, Google, right? So a few people who saw far enough not only got out ahead, but so far ahead that it's, you know, they're the new robber barons of society. They're the new kings of the world, in a sense. Whereas all those companies, you know, Barnes & Noble, um, you know, Petco, Staples, Circuit City, all these places who who didn't think the internet was going to be the future, they're all gone now. And most of them, not all of them or blockbuster, right? Another great example, blockbuster was offered Netflix. They were given the chance to buy Netflix for 1 million, $1 million. I think this was in the early two thousands or mid two thousands. The response was people aren't going to watch movie. They don't want to order DVDs. They don't want to watch movies on the internet. It's too slow. Nobody will ever do that. We've been, we're the dominant player in video. We, we will be forever hubris, right? Fast forward a few years, how's that? You know, Blockbuster's out of business. They're a joke in the new Captain Marvel trailer, whereas Netflix owns video, right? They've replaced Blockbusters and all those stores are just, you know, empty, just like the malls all around America. And magic is great for this, you know, divination and also projecting your dreams of what you want to do. I don't think that human service jobs, anything with, like, Vanessa was talking about caretaking and things like that, there's always going to be a need for that. There's always going to be a need for Doctors, particularly as healthcare becomes more expensive and prohibitive and confusing in this country, anyone who has healing abilities or alternative healing or knows certain healing modalities, that will always be in demand as people look for healthcare solutions outside of the system that drains all their money. And anything that involves working with people, caring for people, is not going to go out of fashion, I don't think. But things are going to change very, very quickly. It's going to happen overnight. So be ready. Thanks. You're welcome. Tommy Kelly asks, are you hopeful for the future of humanity? Yes and no. So I'm very hopeful that there are some very positive futures coming. And I think the things that I'm most hopeful for are space travel, private space travel, and the potential that that is people like Elon Musk obviously are leading the way on that. And that's something that I've been involved in also working with space industry people. Because I think that the future of humanity really is in space. And that's, you know, obviously something that Jack Parsons made so clear in his magical work and that he understood so clearly that if we're to survive as a species, we have to get off world just because we're running out of space for our population. So I think that all the efforts to colonize Mars, for instance, right, that I'm extremely hopeful for. And I'm excited about some new technologies like blockchain, although there's a lot of nonsense with blockchain also, and just pure greed. But I am excited about the possibility of of technologies like blockchain to truly shake up the way that things are done and to do things in a much more enlightened and decentralized fashion. I think that blockchain will really cut up control in the way that Burroughs always hoped and will kind of cut up the world economic system. I'm also hopeful for AI in some senses. And I think that In the sense that I think that a strong AI may possibly stand a good chance of fixing a lot of our issues on the planet. That said, there's a lot that I'm not hopeful about, obviously. This book, obviously, I've talked so much about the apocalypse. And the apocalypse, as you should know as spiritual people, I hope, is the apocalypse is not just a physical event. The apocalypse is the ongoing degradation of the spiritual tenor of humanity and the spiritual, I wouldn't say ability, but the spiritual qualities of humanity. So I think that while our technology is progressing, our spirituality and our contact with the inner world is not. And, and that's why magic and spirituality and what you guys are interested in, which is the great work is so important. And is critically important in a way that our society doesn't understand and doesn't give it credit for. So if you are into magic and you are pursuing the great work and you are into the occult, I just want to say to you, it's incredibly important and thank you for being into it. You know, when I first started getting into magic, I knew maybe I could count the people I knew on one or two hands who were into the occult and now it's become much more popular because of the internet, which is great. And people can get access to information that we didn't have before. I have hope in that. And I, I just want to congratulate you and encourage you in continuing to pursue the great work as it were, even if the people around you don't get it or the world doesn't reward you for it. Because when we, as a somebody who's into magic or into spirituality, you're somebody who is concerned with being in touch with the inner worlds and yourself. And that's what we need as a species. We need people who are actively pursuing wisdom. You know, I said last night, I did a a appearance, and I said that magic almost turns the accumulation of wisdom into like a video game, right? Where you're constantly kind of racking up experiences and spiritual insights. And that's kind of cool, right? So I encourage you to just keep going with that because when we lose that as a species, we're lost. We're lost forever. So we need people who are able to, take on the role of shamans and who are able to navigate the inner worlds for people. And I know you're chaos magicians, so you're well into the edge edgelordery and the being Koronzonic and stuff like that, but it's okay. It, you'll, you'll grow out of it. <laughs> you'll grow out of it. It's a phase. <laughs> it's an important phase. And I think the best part of a chaos magic is the ability to paradigm shift and the ability to very seriously go through lots of different spiritual traditions and learn things from them without being bound by them. Raphael asks, where do blockchain alternative currencies and magic intersect? How do you see the impact of enlightened visionaries in the blockchain space, shaping the new economy in both material and magical ways? Okay, so blockchain is a fascinating technology. It's only one fascinating technology of many. It is changing the world. Blockchain or whatever fintech replaces blockchain will very much change It basically digitizes money. So that's going to change everything. What I want to caution about is in the blockchain world of my observation of it, there is a lot of magical thinking. And I mean that not in the positive sense of directed will. I mean that in the sense of losing contact with reality and thinking, particularly when young guys make a lot of money real quick They think that there's something special about them. They think that they're suddenly enlightened. And we've seen this with people like Brock Pierce and some of the others just declaring themselves shamans and things like this. And now they're moving to Puerto Rico to do this disaster capitalism thing where they're buying up all the land that was left by the hurricane. So I obviously raise an eyebrow or two eyebrows whenever anyone declares themselves a visionary publicly. It's always marketing. And my take on blockchain is that everyone should understand it. And obviously, I have a course on it, Bitcoin Insider, uh, which you can find at uh, bitcoininsider.io, in which I explain the entire thing. I break down the technology. And I think that blockchain, understanding blockchain, will be very important to the next 10 years or so. And just like understanding AI and some of these other technologies. So I'll put that link. There, but I want to also caution against the exuberance, right? We know from every financial bubble in history that there's this period of exuberance where people think they can do no wrong. And this was at a peak at the end of last year when Bitcoin was up to $18,000 of Bitcoin. And then it crashed immediately. People were saying, like, it's going to go forever. It's going to be a million dollars of Bitcoin. It's going to be $10 million of Bitcoin. Now, will that happen eventually? I don't know. It's possible, but we just need to be careful not to get caught up in mass, I don't want to say mass hysteria, but blockchain is a new technology. It's a Promethean technology. It's kind of like the discovery of fire and people don't fully understand it yet. And so people are getting, in my perspective, excited about the wrong things and missing the things that truly are exciting so for instance people were you know crazy last year about icos and were were crazy about the idea of oh my god we're going to make so much money out of this and that for me is not the exciting thing because that's obviously an unsustainable bubble the exciting thing is the technology itself and the ability to decentralize on the internet so i absolutely think you need to understand blockchain just like we were talking about at the beginning of this session And also AI, automation, all these things will be critical to going forward.
1: I have a question. but First, I wanted to say that I did just finally do the pretty much all of the exercises from the Finding Your True Will course. And it seems like such a large amount of work to do, but I just want to say it was worth it.
0: What were your results like?
1: You know, I just have a pretty good idea of what it is that I'm working with, I guess. It just feels really good to know that. To know what it is, because then I can organize my time around that. I can organize the things that I say yes and no to around that. Yeah, it, it feels good.
0: Excellent. That's the idea. Yeah.
1: My question is, I'm not sure if I've heard you say anything along these lines, but I'm sure you have thoughts on it. My question is about how to express oneself in a way that's ethical or spiritual. I've heard Mitch Horowitz talking about how, you know, you shouldn't gossip. I've been trying to follow the four agreements thing, be impeccable with your word for years. And I've been, I have like other rules that Alejandro Jodorowsky has (laughs) around speech. But I just, so I feel like there's a lot of I've been like cutting back on negative things that I say, but I don't know how to approach things sometimes when people, when somebody is doing something that I really have an issue with. I'm not exactly sure where the room is for talking about, you know, somebody maybe in a group being like kind of abusive. How do I call that out? I don't know. So, or somebody maybe just doing some, saying things that are not true. I'm not sure if I should just like, not get involved at all or i don't know i'm so i'm just wondering if you have any ideas about how to kind of walk that line being very careful and respectful towards others with what you say but also being able to say what's true at the right time even if it's
0: uncomfortable okay yeah that's a good one i have a lot of thoughts about that one is so, the, you know, there's things like four agreements and stuff like that. And my one of my issues with pop spirituality is that it tries to give a one-size-fits-all for everybody. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's certain rules that you follow, that if you follow them, you will be spiritual. And therefore, that, that somehow is going to work for everyone. But that's not the case. That's not the world that we live in. So... In terms of ethics, there's a couple different considerations here to look at. There's the whole question about ethics and how you how you determine ethics for your life. So there's the issue of ethics, and then there's the issue of speech. So let's start with speech. So speech from the magical perspective is causative, right, to some extent. So when you're a magical person, you need to be careful because what you say, to some extent, goes out into the world. You need to be very mindful of what you're saying and the energy that you're bringing into the world and what may come back and manifest. So, long story short, you realize that what you say and certainly what you think and absolutely what you do is a place for clear ethical consideration. You know, like other people can be unconscious, but if you're a magician, you can't. You, you realize that these things have an effect. So, you have to be very careful with your words. The Egyptian god Thoth is very uh, you know, very much about this. So, So there's the question of speech. And the general thing about speech is, yes, be very careful about what you say, because it has an effect. And if you're a magician, you can't pretend you're not having an effect. So that's a mechanical issue. The next bit is is ethics in general. There is no one-size-fits-all ethical rule for everyone. But the best, if you talk to professional ethicists, the best they've ever come up with in the world of ethics is called The Categorical Imperative by Immanuel Kant. Now that sounds like a mouthful and sounds like you're gonna have to read a bunch of philosophy books, but it's actually really, really simple. And it goes like this, before you do anything, and this goes for any magical action, any action you're gonna take in life, maybe anything you say, whatever it happens to be, you ask yourself, what would the world look like if everybody in the world took the action that I was about to take? If everybody did what I am considering doing, what would the world be like? And then secondly, is that a world that I want to live in? If it is a world you want to live in, let's say everybody in the world pirates everything, right? Everyone in the world pirates and downloads stuff. Well, now nobody can make any money. That's a terrible world because nobody can get anything. Nobody's making anything. Everyone's just living. And now there's no money or funds to make cool stuff. Okay, well, that's a terrible world. I don't want to live in that world. So therefore, I'm not going to pirate stuff. Okay. Pretty straightforward. That's Kant's categorical imperative, and you can use it for anything. It is the best one size fits all ethical measure for anything, and it's also it's a more of a thought experiment or an out you know uh, something that you walk through instead of a one size fits all prescriptive thou shalt not. Because you know what we know is those things differ by society. They differ from moment to moment. Sometimes things are very vague. This is why we have a court system, so that's my guidelines on that. In terms of whether you should be nice or be that person that is the stick in the mud and or says the thing that people don't want to hear, I can share you with you my perspective is that I have always been the guy who says the thing that people don't want to hear. By the way, it does not win you friends. It ends up losing you friends. but I would rather point out the uncomfortable truth, particularly. I mean, there's an uncomfortable truth like somebody asks you, does my butt look big in this? You always say no, and it's okay to not tell the truth. That's just social graces. So it's not like being like an obnoxious truth teller all the time. But if somebody's doing something, you know, and we often, by the way, this is a serious issue in spiritual groups and magical groups. I mean, I've come across this many times. It is not non-trivial. And by the way, this is also, I've mentioned this before, but this is why I teach online, because the magic groups, they generate drama and sometimes all kinds of craziness can happen. And a lot of times, what you find, I I assume you're talking about a spiritual group, although I'm not sure, but it's really any group, so it doesn't really matter. A lot of times, what happens in them, and this is very important to realize, is that somebody starts doing something unethical or harmful, but most people in the group, if they see it, deny that it's happening because the cohesion of the group and maintaining the narrative of the group is more important to them than calling out the thing that's happening. Because if the group falls apart, they lose their identity and they lose their sense of significance and everything that they've invested in the group. And that can either be something dangerous and unethical that's happening, or it can just be some some BS, right? Like it can be really clear sometimes, for instance, in spiritual groups. It, nobody's actually doing the work and it's clearly not working for them, right? And nobody wants to call that out because they would rather live in the fantasy that all their titles and badges and grades mean something and prop up their ego and their sense of identity that way. It's not really just ego. It's their sense of identity. It's what they're doing with their life. So there can be a lot of resistance to calling out things that are, should be called out. So my guidelines in that is always call it out and but just bear in mind that it may, may lose you friends and you may have to leave the group but this is you know this is um in my way of thinking the only ethical thing to do it's 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 people get this idea that it is ethical to just be nice and quiet and not say anything and they confuse politeness with goodness or or politeness with ethics social graces with ethics they would rather be seen as a nice person than be that guy or that girl who says the thing that nobody wants to hear. But it's actually not ethical to not speak out. You know, Chogyam Trungpa, the Tibetan teacher, used the phrase idiot compassion. Or he said that idiot compassion is when you have compassion for people in the sense that you allow them to do clearly harmful things. Like, oh, he's just putting his hand on, his sto- on the stove. He'll learn, I'm having compassion for him in his ignorance, putting his hand on the stove. It's like, no, you slap his hand away from the stove. And if he's mad at you, that's fine. At least his hand is intact. Right? Like that's kind of the way it goes. I hope that's helpful.
1: Yeah, actually, that's super helpful. Cause I, yeah, I've been in so many situations like that. And sometimes I just am like, okay, everybody's so kind of like what you said. They just want to believe this lie. So. Maybe I don't belong here, but
0: is this a magical or spiritual group, by the way?
1: Oh, just all kinds of things. I tend to be the person who is saying things that make people uncomfortable. So I'm I've been trying to just learn how to be easier to get along with. <laughs> but um you maybe
0: don't. now you, you started this off by talking about the true will. That's right. So, so would you rather do your true will or be nice and stay stay socially cohesive with it?
1: I just want to be sure that I'm doing things right. I want to make sure that I'm not actually a jerk if I'm making people uncomfortable by calling something out. I'll give an example. I was at a group, an improv group like a week ago, and somebody was giving their opinion on a portion of a book that they had not read. And I said, hey, it's kind of stupid to give your opinion on something that you haven't read. I shouldn't have used the word stupid, but what else do you call that? I don't know.
0: (laughs) My general view on this is the time for speaking out or being aggressively active in some way is usually when there's a chance that someone may hurt themselves or hurt other people. If somebody's just being a goofball, then I think that's that's maybe just that might be might be better just to let it slide.
1: Yeah, you're right. I guess it's like a small instance, but still, I think it kind of was a good point. (laughs) I think there are so many things like that that come up, like with my astrology teacher. I just, uh, so it's just a question that's on my mind a lot is what is the right thing to do in these situations? But um, okay, I think
2: that this has been helpful. Let's see. So, my question is about kind of the interplay between two of your podcast guests. Whatever, like, kind of their views of the world. One, Lon Milo Duquette and his notion that we can foresee and cause the future at the same time, versus like the chaos theory in uh, Ralph Abraham's view, which is that the future is ultimately unpredictable and not fixed. And so that's to me is very, very fascinating different ways of seeing things because it seems like Duquette is very focused on intuition, which I've found can be flawed, but can be trained. And so, I don't know, I was just wondering your thoughts about that.
0: Sure. Yeah, what a fascinating topic, right? So, I think the main thing is that when Ralph was talking about the future not being fixed, he was talking about statistics, and he was talking about, basically, he was saying it's not measurable statistically, and you cannot build statistical methods or statistical models to reliably predict the future. That's very different than saying it can't be altered with magic. So I I think that I would guess that particularly since Ralph Abraham is a chaos theory guy and chaos theory is essentially about manipulating seemingly complex systems by putting in inflection points. And so I think they're talking about two different things. So Ralph Abraham's talking about what he was saying is that the idea that you can build a reliable statistical model using mathematics and, and data science is... Not really possible, but he wasn't what and what Lon was saying is that the future is very malleable by will and observation, but he wasn't talking about statistical observation. He was talking about observation in the context of magical ritual. So I'd imagine if I got those two guys together, they would probably agree on Lon's point of the universe is can be proactively or retroactively changed. But all that Ralph Abraham was saying is that you can't you can't force it into a computer model, basically.
2: Okay. And so, can I ask a follow-up question then? Sure. So, in terms of if we are supposing that Lon Duquette's notion, if we go with that model then, just wondering about recommendations then for making the future a brighter place. Because yeah. I feel like there's a lot of, you know, I don't know, in, in my personal experience of the world it is a very bright place but then i feel a lot of people i interact with say that it they feel there's a very dark future coming and i'm wondering how to work with that
0: so the first one would be choose which one you want to live in
2: <laughs> done
0: <laughs> okay good and then the second would be visualize the future you want to live in and do it on a daily basis make it real for yourself and visualize it like it's already happened and then You can heighten that obviously with magical ritual, but just visualization, visualizing the future that you want for yourself will move you in that direction indubitably. Right. And, and then we can get into ideas about multiple dimensions, things like that. You know, I've often suspected that magic is a way of selecting what multiverse you want to live in right And that's one interpretation of quantum physics it's just an interpretation it's not really a scientific theory it's just an idea that every time a decision is made multiple universes split off you know the mini world's interpretation of quantum physics is what that's called and I've often suspected that magic is a way of choosing the one we want to live in so visualize the future you want to live in for yourself and take every step you can to make to get yourself there
2: very cool thank you
0: Welcome. That's a great question. All right. Hope you enjoyed that. See you at magic.me and particularly for office hours, which are now back on regularly and see you in the next podcast. Very soon to come. All right. Hang in there. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.